Shiyum Mispal 176, the biblical origins of the Medrash of Avram and Iconoclast by Rabbi Nathaniel Helfgott. Okay, Boker Tov to everyone. Good morning to everyone. Um, first of all, um, you know, when you fly in the States, uh, very often, if you like flying from Chicago to New York or to Denver, the pilot will get on and say, you know, if you're not going to Denver, you know, <laughs> get off the plane. So if you don't understand English, you know, uh, this is not the uh, <laughs> this is not the shiur for you. You probably got lost in the uh, <laughs> in the halls. Uh, so welcome uh, to everyone. It's very mirag- uh, It's very emotional to be here for me personally uh, and to see everyone and always uh, every year to come to this beautiful Chagigat Tanach. Um, it's especially emotional for me because. Uh, you know, close to uh, 36 years ago, I came as an 18-year-old student to this place. Uh, 36 years ago, now you here? 36 years ago, I came to this uh, beautiful place uh, to learn as an 18-year-old and to grow and to, every time I come back, it's a very, very emotional and to be teaching Torah here. Uh, this didn't exist then, the Machon, the Michlel Herzog didn't exist then, but to be teaching Torah here is uh, is very special. Um, so this morning I wanted to uh, wanted to learn with you together, uh, to go into an exploration, a journey uh, into the world of how uh, Chazal, how the rabbis learned and studied uh, Chumash uh, in depth. And I wanted to try to illustrate something which a number of years back I I discovered, and I think that is uh, is you know a very uh, amazing. Uh, and I want to put first put it in a framework uh, of in general uh, what we're doing here. You know that um, today, when we study Tanakh, um, especially in the world of Yeshivat Haaretzion and the world of uh, literary analysis, uh, we are very fond of noticing uh, patterning. Right, one story plays off of another story. Right. That's what that's what we make our living off. People who teach Tanakh, you know, that's what we make our living off. So we're and we're very familiar with that. Some of that already Chazal noticed and made explicit in the midrashim. One of the most famous examples is, for example, there's a lot of beautiful midrashim that note the literary parallels between Eliyahu and Moshe Rabbeinu. Forty days, forty nights. He you know, he doesn't eat, he doesn't eat, he goes to Har Carmel. he goes to Har Choreif, right? The rabbis noticed that very often in stories. The problem was that they didn't do it systematically in the way that many literary uh, scholars and thinkers and educators do today. But they certainly, in certain contexts, were aware of that. Um, and, of course, we're very fam- many of us have studied with many of the teachers here and in, have read Dat Mikra or others we know, like for example, the story of Yosef, you know, is the is the basis for the story of Migilat Esther, that there's so many literary allusions to the story of, uh, you know, a Jew who re- re- reaches the highest levels of political power, hides their identity, saves the Jews in Galut, right? And there's a lot of both thematic parallels as well as literary parallels. And that's like a big, big avodah that people do when they learn Tanakh, bi'yun from a pshat point of view. And often, your migaleh, often you reveal that 
Dafcha Chazal often saw that, but they expressed it in their own way. Okay. So that's a kind of given in terms of very often what we do when we study Tanakh in terms of methodology. What's interesting is, one of the interesting, at least to me, is that sometimes, once you have that, you can also go the other way. What I mean is, not only is a story later in Tanakh patterned after a story earlier in Tanakh, but once Chazal saw that, they were then able, at least in their conceptual framework of how they read Tanakh, to go back and say, well, if B is based on A, then maybe we can learn stuff about A from B. And it's a two-way street. It doesn't only go that way, it also goes back this way. And that's what we call in fancy-schmancy English intertextuality in reverse. Okay? So it's we're playing one text off of another text, but we're going back to the original text and adding something in light of the later text, which is not something you would normally do, but Chazal in their Midrashic imagination and their sense of Torah Hashem Tmima, that the whole Torah plays is, as they say in fancy Hebrew, mitkatev echad imashini. It's kind of dialoguing one with the other. Chazal felt that it, they were entitled to go back in that direction. Let me give you an example before we get to our major example today, because maybe you won't like my second example, so maybe you'll like my first example. So, Akedat Yitzchak, right? So, it's a fascinating, you know, I'm not going to teach Akedat Yitzchak, that would be Gneva Stas to teach Akedat Yitzchak, but I want to take one pasuk in Akedat Yitzchak, that since we're little kids in school we learn, right? Hashem says to Avraham Avinu, Lech Lecha Eretz HaMoriah, right? And go there, and El Echad Heharim Asher Omar Elecha. To one of the mountains that I will right, tell you. Which mountain? Eretz Hamoriah means an Azor. It's an area. It's Eretz Hamoriah, right? So how does Avram know which place to go to? In the middle of the story it says, Vayar et hamakom merachok. What did Avram have ways? I mean, how exactly did Avraham know that he had reached the place? How did he know? Was there a big neon sign saying, here, Avram, stop. It doesn't say. The text is extremely, extremely uh, reticent to share those kind of details with us. But it says, Vayaret mirachok. How does he know it's the place? So Chazal say what? Many of us, we remember Rashi. Many of us studied Rashi. What do, what is, what do Chazal say? Anan kashur al-hahar. Chazal say there was Anan, there was a, a cloud, a divine cloud, or whatever you want to translate it, was on top of the mountain. What's Tutzlach? Where does it say that in the text? It doesn't say that in the text. Chazal just made it up out of whole cloth. Again, how do Chazal get to that? The Ramban, in fact, in Pshutol Shamikra, is troubled by that. He doesn't spell out why he's troubled, but he says, Vayaret He saw the place, it means Eretz HaMoriah. It doesn't mean the mountain, it means he saw the Azor. 
but <laughs> that's not what it seems to to mean in terms of context. Because certainly, and certainly that's not the way Chazal read it. So the answer, I think, is very straightforward and very very easy. If everyone please opens up in their Tanakh to Shmot Perkhaf Dalit, you know that Matan Torah is presented in the Torah in two stages. It's presented in Perk Yutet and Perk Chaf, in the Hitkalut, the re- revelation at Sinai, Aseret Adibrot, and then we have Perk Chaf Dalit. Perk Chaf Dalit, which kind of bookends Parshat Mishpatim, we have chapter 19, 20 in Yitro, which tells us about the Theophany at Sinai, the Hitkalut, and Aseret Adibrot, and then we have the, so to speak, the bookend of Perk Dalit, chapter 24, where we seem to have a second presentation of Aseret Adibrot. There's a big machloket in the Parshanut between Rashi and Ramban, which I'm not getting into. Is this before Matan Torah? Is it after Matan Torah? Clearly from Pasuk Yud Bet on, in that Perak, it's after Matan Torah. But Pasuk Chav Dalit, to Pasuk Aleph, to Pasuk Yud Aleph, it's a question whether it's before Matan Torah, it's after Matan Torah, but it's certainly, it's in the context of Matan Torah. It's a few days before, it's a few days, it's at, and in fact, and again, there's a great Chidon question, my kids are running to Chidon, so, you know, most people, if you ask them, where, where does it say Na'asev and Ishma in the Torah? So they'll tell you, it says Na'asev and Ishma in Parshat Yitro, and it doesn't say it there. It says it in Perk Dalid. If you look in Perk Dalid, here in this story, there it says the Jewish people, after Moshe sprinkles the blood upon them, in Pasuk Zion it says, ha'am. He reads the book of covenant. Kol asher now, in this presentation of the story, we'll notice a couple of things. And again, I want you to hear it. Remember Akedat Yitzchak. Listen as we read the story. And you can work with me and listen to all the literary allusions that clearly the story is presented a la Akedat Yitzchak. Ve'el Moshe Amar, Perakhav Dalit Pasuk Aleph, Ve'el Moshe Amar, Alei El Hashem Ata Ve'arom Nadav Aviyu, V'shivim Miziknei Yisrael, V'shtachavita Merachok. Go up on a mountain and, you know, and bow down from afar. And they go up to the mountain and Moshe Rabbeinu writes down in Pasuk Dalet Vayichtov Moshe Divrei Hashem Vayashkem Baboker he gets up early in the morning Vayiven Mizbeach he builds a Mizbeach Tachatahar Ushtem Esrei Matzeva Lishtem Esrei Shiftei Yisrael Vayishlach et Na'arei Bnei Yisrael Vayalu Olot they offer the Olot and later on in the story, Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, Vayiru et Elohei Yisrael, v'tachat raglav, pasuk yud, u'cha'etzem ha'shamayim latoar, ve'elatzilei b'nei Yisrael, lo shalach yado, al tishlach yadcha el hanar. Don't send the... Vayashkem Avraham baboker, v'ishtachavita merachok, right? And you'll stay away. They build a mizbeach, all these things. And at the end of the story, the Bible says, And they go up. 
ויל משה להר, ויחס הענן את ההר. ומראה כבוד אדוני כאש אוכלת בראש ההר. אש אוכלת. What's the name of the sword? It's מאכלת. It's very interesting. It's not a sword when Abraham is ready to kill Yitzchak. It's a מאכלת. Again, if you go back to Akedat Yitzchak, and I'm not teaching that, so otherwise I would put it on my imaginary board here, and I would show you every single word, almost, is 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 playing off of the Akedat Yitzchak, which makes a lot of sense. Va'aleu sham la'ola, they bring olot here. They Avraham builds a mizbeach there. He builds Moshe Rabbeinu va'yashkein ba'boker. They go up on a mountain, and it's a covenantal experience. Matan Torah is playing off of Akedat Yitzchak. It's it's extending Akedat Yitzchak. It's playing, again, there's not a shear about Akedat Yitzchak. I just want to show you. So once Chazal saw that, they saw literary parallels, and you can do it at home on your own. You can find 10 other ones. Okay. Once the rabbis saw that, they said, ooh, if Matan Torah is based on Akedat Yitzchak, so then when it talks about the Makom, the place, and it talks about that there was a hitgalut, that there was a revelation of God. So when it says, he saw the place. And of course, the key word in the Akedah is to see. Hashem This is the place of seeing. In the story of Matan Torah, which is a major theme, they see God. So then the rabbi said, oh, there's an Anan. That's what they, they knew that God's divine revelation was here. That's how Avram saw so this is what I call intertextuality in reverse. Once you saw the connections, we go back. Okay? That's the frame that I want to put this in. That's the first frame. So I did two things, two framings. One I talked about literary analysis. One is intertextuality in reverse. I want to say one more thing, and then let's get to Avraham, the iconoclast. And that is, I come from a certain tradition. We all come from a certain tradition. But I come from the tradition which is not accepted today in the Haredi world, but was the perspective of most of the Rishonim, Gaonim, and a lot of the Achronim. And that is, when we deal with Midrash Agadah, I'm not talking about Midrash Halacha, when we deal with the narrative portions of the Bible and the rabbinic filling in of the gaps, filling in the lacunae, Explaining stuff, we are not talking about something from Sinai. Okay? Whether Yitzchak was 37 years old, according to one Midrash, or whether he was 14 years old, according to Ibn Ezra, or whether he was 25 years old, okay? Or whether Avram was 3 years old when he recognized God, or he was 13 years old when he recognized God, Machlokas Midrashim, that's not something that they received at Sinai. As Rab Shmuel Hanagid writes in his Hakdama or his guide introduction to the Talmud, which is printed in every Shas Bavli at the end of Masechet Brachot, he says, Agada are the things that the rabbis tried to understand in the text to the best of their logic. And he says, those things which make sense to us, we accept, and those things which don't, we don't accept. Which is, at the basis of that is the understanding that not every midrash should be taken literally. As one teacher I had in elementary school said so beautifully, not every midrash should be taken literally, 
every midrash should be taken seriously, which is a very nice distinction and a very important distinction. We come, again, Rashi, uh, Ramban, Rashbam, and all the others, the great Rishonim, come from that tradition of the Gaonim, the Rambam, of course, was very much into this tradition, that we take Midrashim seriously, but we don't necessarily have to buy into them literally, that this has happened historically. It's ultimately irrelevant on many levels. We're trying to understand the Messer, the message, and the methodology. So I just, again, so... I just want to put that out there in terms of methodology. So now let's start. And let's start from a midrash, a very famous midrash, which is found in a number of Amoraic midrashim. It is not found in Tanaitic midrashim. If you don't know what the difference between Amoraic, again, there's a wonderful books you can buy out there and spend your money. Uh, Breshit Rabbah is an Amoraic midrash. What do I mean by Amoraic? It was edited in the Tkufat Amoraim. It contains material which is earlier, but it's composition and how it made itself. It's an Eretz Yisrael Midrash as opposed to a Bavel Midrash. There are many, some Midrashim which come from Bavel, some Midrashim which were edited in Eretz Yisrael. It comes from the 5th century. So we're talking about the 400s, okay, during Tkufata Moraim. So famous Midrash, which I want to read with you inside. Many of us know the Midrash, but I want to read with you inside. And then I want to compare it to a earlier work, which is non-rabbinic, but is actually an early, the earliest source we have for this Midrash, this idea, but is actually non-rabbinic. Okay, so Breshit Rabbah and the Pasuk Vayamat Haran al Pnei Terach Aviv and Abraham, and Haran died it's at the very end of Perek Yod Aleph. Rabchia Barbered Rav Ada Diafo, so I'm going to translate and, okay, so Rabchia from son of Ravada from Yafo, Terech Oved Slamim Haya. It's also interesting, I don't have the time to go into it. The integration of Hebrew and Aramaic here is very interesting. Does it mean that there are different layers of the Midrash at different stages? Again, that's for academic study of Midrash, not my agenda today. Terech Oved Slamim Haya. Terech was an idol worshiper. Chadzman Nafak Latar. One day he had to go to the city. He had Sidurim. Hoshiv Avram Mocher Tachtav. So he left Abraham to be. To, to, to mine the store and sell the Avodat Kochim. Havi'ate bar'anish by the Yizbin. So a man came to buy. And Avram said to him, Bar'kama shninat, how old are you? Havi'amarle bar'chamshin oshitin. I'm about, I'm about, you know, six, 50 or 60. Havi'amarle vaile lahayugavra davi bar'shitin uboy lamizge lebar'yome. Woe to this person, to a man who's almost 60 and you're coming to bow down to something that was made yesterday in China. Okay, and the man was embarrassed. So he left the store. So Avram's not a very good, you know, seller. Okay, Chadzman Ata another time, Ata Chad Itita Tiina Biade Chada Pinach Desolid. So a woman came and she brought a. She wasn't buyer. She was. She wanted to come and bring flour, a an offering to the gods. So he gave it to her, he put it down, and then Avram took a stick and he destroyed the psilaya. He destroyed all the psalim, all the things. And he put the stick in the hand of the biggest idol amongst them. When his father came home, who did this? To all these idols, Amarle, 
I can't hold back from you. A woman came, brought some flour. And I said to her, put it in front of the idols. One of the idols said, I want to eat first. I want to eat first. Come, come Hadain Rabba. And the biggest one, Davi Beneo, Nisiv Buskal, he took a stick, Vitavrino, and he killed the other one. He destroyed the other ones. Smashed the other ones. Amrlay, Mata Maflebi. So Tarak says, What are you faking with me? What are you jiving with me? The Adini Nun, do idols know anything? They're not really alive. Amarlay, Velo Yishmu Oznecha Mashapicho. Notice we come back to the Hebrew. Don't your ears hear what your mouth is saying? So in the version in the fourth, in the fifth century, he gives over his son to Nimrod. That you know, he mamish hands over his son to Nimrod, according to the version of the Medrash Rabbah. Avram says, let's bow down to the to to, to, to the to the heavens that give the water. Let's, okay? And it goes on and on and on until, of course, the famous story of making him try to bow down to the idols and he throws him to the Kivshan Ha'esh, which, of course, is based on the story of Daniel, which I'm not talking about today. Okay, so now, this is the version that we're familiar with since we're little children. And, of course, the question is, if you, and from an educational point of view, if you teach this story, why are we teaching the story is a good question. If you're going to teach it, should you teach it? Shouldn't you teach it? At what age should you teach it? But I want to deal with what exactly is the basis of uh, this story. But before that, I just want to, if you turn the page to the Book of Jubilees. The Book of Jubilees is a book of from the Apocrypha, the Sfarim HaChitzonim. It comes from around 100, 120, 150, we don't know exactly, BCE. Okay? Means... About 500 years before the Medrash Rabbah that we just read. This is the earliest source. This is a book that was floating around in Jewish circles. They found it in the Dead Sea, Dead sea Caves in Qumran. And this is a book which tries to retell the biblical story in light. It was probably written by sectarians, Jews who were a little bit different than what we today have as normative rabbinic Judaism. So let's listen to the version. This is 500 years beforehand. And it came to pass in the sixth week in the seventh year that Abraham said to Terach his father, saying, Father, and he said, Behold, here I am, my son. What help and profit have we from those idols which thou dost worship and before which you bow yourself? For there is no spirit in them, for they are dumb forms. Worship them not. Worship God of heaven who causes the rain and the dew. Notice the rain theme, the dew theme. And he created everything by his word. Why do you worship things that have no spirit in them? For they are the work of men's hands. And on your shoulders do you bear them. But they are a great cause of shame to those who make them and the misleading of the heart. And his father said to him, I also know it, which of course is similar to the Medrash, meaning, because in the Medrash he says, oh, idols can't really fight, they don't know. Here it's even better, meaning he knows that he, it's not true. But what shall I do with the people who have made me to serve before them? And if I tell them the truth, they will slay me, for their soul cleaves to them to worship them. Keep silent, my son, lest they slay thee. Etc., etc. Now, of course, in this version, Terach is much more sympathetic. In the original version from 100 BCE, Terach is not yet the villain that he becomes in later Midrashic readings. I want you to keep that in the back pocket. 
We'll come back to that. Okay, now, so the question is, so where did Chazal get this story? I mean, you're not talking about a little story. You know, it says that when Bnei Israel, it says when, when the Makkah of the Tzvardea came, so, so the Medrash says there was a gigantic frog and little frogs, right? We learned that, popped out of that. So they were darshaning, you know, it says Tzvardea Belashon Yachid. And not, we're talking about a whole, out of whole cloth, an entire narrative. Where did the rabbis get this from? So it's pretty clear that though in the Abraham story, such a story does not appear, such a story does appear in Tanakh, but it doesn't appear here. Now you could say to me, well, as many people say, well, the rabbis were looking for an origin story, you know, like like heroes need origin stories, like Batman, Superman, but in Tanakh also, heroes have origin stories. Yosef, how, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu has an origin story, so number one, the rabbis were looking for an origin story because heroes, especially compared to other heroes in other cultures, they can't just, the rabbis said, heroes can't just show up out of nowhere. They have to have, they have to have some background. They have to have yichus, they have to, right? Okay? Remember how Chazal turned Yocheved and Miriam into the rabbis' languages, G'doldei Hador Hayu. Because Moshe can't just be a simple person, even though in Pshat, seems to be a very simple Jew. Vayelech Ish, Echad, mi Beit Levi, Bat Levi, Anonymous, every man, just every man. But no, they have to have Yichus. Moshe Rabbeinu is handsome, even though in the text doesn't, right? Also, the rabbis are struggling with the question, which we all struggle with, is why did Hashem choose Avraham? That's the famous question. It's not clear in the text, why is Avraham out of the blue chosen, Right? So, right, so we say, you know, you can talk about the Sfasemes, about how Avram, you know, the Sfasemes says, Lech Lecha, he said it to the whole world, and only Avram heard it. You know, there's a lot of beautiful drashot. You could also do the Ramban about how, Ramban doesn't say it in terms of this question, but the Ramban says, if you look at the end of Parshat Noach, it sounds like Avram's already going to Eretz Yisrael at the end of Parshat Noach, even before Lech Lecha Me'artzacha. So it sounds like Avram's already understands there's something pulling him towards Eretz Yisrael, or you could say, which I think is more Pshutoshal Mikra, we do find out why Avraham is chosen, but not in this parsha. In parsha Va'era, when God says, I have to tell Avraham what I'm going to do to stone. I know that Abraham is the kind of person who teaches his children the way of God, of Tzedakah Mishpat, I know that that's his personality, and therefore this is the person that I want to transmit the Brit and the covenantal message of ethical monotheism to the world. Okay, but the rabbis, I think here we're trying to find out, but the question, the question still is, why this narrative of all? Okay, why not have, why not have you know, Avraham, you know, have a, 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 a Malach come, with with a coal and a diamond and you know what is that's also a nice medrash about choosing and showing you know, a lot of midrashim you could why this story okay everyone please open up your Tanakh to Shoftim Perek Vav Shoftim Perek Vav of course puts us in the story of Gidon Gidon a very critical Shofet in Jewish history Gidon of course at a time when there's the Jewish people are greatly oppressed, 
and in a very, very difficult situation. And Gid'on is presented to us. And I'm not going through the whole story of Gid'on, a very famous story. And Gid'on has a revelation from a Malach. Everyone please turn to Perak Vav Pasuk Chaf. After the, excuse me, what I say? Pasuk Chaf? I meant, Slicha, uh, Pasuk Yud Aleph. Vayavol, everyone got it? Chapter 6, verse 11. Vayavol Malach Adunai Vayashev, Vayashev Tachat Ha'ela Asher Be'ofra, Vigidon Beno Choveit Chitim. Right? So we have the story. I actually, I'm sorry, I do want to come back to this, but I want to come to uh, the story here in Pasuk Chafhei. We'll come back to that in a second. Sorry, skipped. Okay. So in the middle of the Gid'on story comes the Malach says, That night, Vayomer Lo, he said to Gid'on, Go and take this and take a par, and he takes it, and Hashem, and he says to him, Go. Veharasta, everybody got it? Pasuk Chafhei. Veharasta et Mizbach Habaal Asher Lavicha. The Malach tells Gidon to go to your father's idols, to your, the father's Mizbeach at night. And break them. Uvanita mizbeach l'Hashem lokech haroshem ha'uzazeh. Vayikach gidon asar anashim yavadav ayaska shediber Hashem elav. Vayikasher yared beit aviv et anshei ha'ir miasot yomam vayas laila. He was afraid to do it in the day, and he therefore does it at night. In the morning they get up and they discover v'hinei nutatz mizbach habal v'asher alav. Vayamru ish l'reu miasad davar azeh. Vayidrashu, vayivakshu, vayamru, gidon ben Yoash asa davar azeh. Vayamru, anshei ayel Yoash, hotzeit bin chaviyamot. Let him go. Bring him and let him be killed. Vayomer Yoash, lechol asher amdu alav, ha'atem terivun labal, imatem toshiunoto, asher yariv lo, yumat ad haboker, etc., etc. So listen to the story we just read. What do we have? We have five elements. We have a father who is an Oved Avodazara and who owns Avodazara. And the father is part and parcel of the culture of Avodazara. And the child is rebellious. The child is not, is off the derech. The child is against the Avodazara. One. Two. The child destroys the Avodazara. Three, there's a search to find out who did this. And they find who did it. Turns out to be the son. Four, there's a threat of imminent danger. Death. They want to put him to death. Five, there is a sarcastic comment about the power of Avodazara. Aren't those the five elements in the Medrash we read about Avram Avinu? Father, son, Avodazara, sarcastic comment, destruction of Avodazara, danger to life, saved at the last minute. You have it all here. It's clear this is the story the rabbis took. 
Now why? Why did they take Gidon and not David Amelech? Why did they take Gidon and not Moshe Rabbeinu? Why did they take Gidon and not Eliyahu? There are a lot of heroes in the Bible if you want to create an origin story. So now let's do the work. The literary work. So now, let's go back to the beginning of the Gidon story. And it's clear to me that whoever wrote the Gidon narrative in Sefer Shoftim, whether it was Shmuel or another Navi, consciously chose to present Gidon in light of Avraham Avinu. Patterning. Gidon is Abraham the second, right? Adam one, Adam two. So now we have Abraham two. Even though Ruth is also, is also she's an Abraham two also, but a lot of Abraham twos floating around in Tanakh. So let's do the work together. There is about, at least today, I'll present maybe nine, ten parallels between the presentation of the Gidon story, which is based upon the Abraham story. So let's start from the beginning. Everyone please look at Perek Vav, Pasuk Yud Aleph. The places where we remember it by heart, I won't, but if you want to, you can, I'll tell you the Pesukim to look it up in Breshit also, okay? If you like that. Perek Vav Pasuk Yud Aleph. The Jewish people are in trouble. Everything is difficult. They're hiding because from the Midianim, which is a terrible thing. Remember, they have atzma'ut, they have independence, and yet they have to hide in the caves. It's being in Galut, in your own land. It's the worst thing possible. Vayavo malach Hashem. And an angel comes to Gidon. That's very interesting. Someone comes to visit. Angels come to visit. That's very familiar. Vayeshev tachat And he sits under a tree. The angels sit under a tree. What does Avram say to the angels that come of his? He sha'anu tachat Come and rest under the tree. Very familiar. Genesis chapter 19. And what does our good friend Gidon do after they exchange the pleasantries? V'yesh Hashem Imanu is really God with us, etc., etc. So I, Abraham, I'm sorry, Slicha, Gidon, comes and he says, V'yomer Elav, Pasuk Yud Zayin, the angel sits down. And what does Gidon do? Gidon He brings him food. What does he bring him? Matzot and Basar. Does that remind you of anybody who brings angels? Matzot and Basar. The only person missing here is Sarah. You know, you know, Gidon doesn't have a Sarah. It's the only person missing here. Okay? So, and he, it's interesting. First it's called Gedi Izim, and then later it's called Basar, which is an exact parallel to the words back there in, in Genesis 19, 6 and 8. Kemach, Basar, all the same thing. And there's also liquid. There's Marak. There, there's, there's Chalav, right? And again, just to show you how Midrashic, 
You know what the Medrash says? You know what the Medrash says? When did those angels come to Avraham Avinu? You know what the Midrash says? Leil Pesach. You know what the Midrash says? Leil Pesach. This happened Leil Pesach. Again, Geula. They're reading the two stories hand in hand. And look at what happens beforehand. The angel comes. Vayomer love Gidon. Biadoni. V'yesh Hashem imanu? Wow. He challenges God. He says, you come and tell me that God is with us. Is God really with us? Where's all the miracles? Hello Mitzrayim. Etc, etc. So the angel says, And what does Gidon say? Yisrael. Show me a sign. How will I save the Jewish people? There's only one other person. You open up your concordance in your head or in your smartphone. There's only one other person in Tanakh who ever challenges God with a question that starts, You know who it is? Avraham. After God promises him, he says, I don't trust you. I need something concrete. The same thing here. God says to him, Go and save the Jewish people. Bameh! The only two people in all of Tanakh who begin challenge of God after they've been told that God will do this. Fascinating. That's number three. Number four. In chapter 6, verse 21, Vayomerlo Hashem. And God speaks to him. Interesting. It's not anymore the Malach or Shalom Lecha. Al tira lo tamut. Very interesting. Don't be afraid. Remember somebody else who was told, who was afraid, but he was told, Al tira, perek, before Yaakov, perek, again, for those who want, you can flip back to Breshit perek tedvav. Breshit perek tedvav. Achar advrim elayat vardunay lavram b'machzelimor. Al tira Avraham. Don't be afraid. And later on, he's told, in Pasuk 15 over there, Avram is told, Let's go further. Fifth parallel. Take a look at the end of Perek Vav, of Sefer, of Shoftim. The very end of Perek Tedvav, Paragvav, slicha. Excuse me. In Paragvav, right? Gidon and Gidon asks for a sign. Hashem gives him a sign, and then Gidon starts. Pasuk Lamitet. Vayomer Gidon el haElohim. Al yichar abchabi vaadabra achapam anasena hapam begiza. Very familiar language. Who talks like that? Avram in Sodom. When Avram is negotiating, it's the only two people who talk like that. If you look in chapter 19 of Sefer Bereshit, when God says, excuse me, Perak Yudchet, in chapter 18, when God tells Abraham that he's about to destroy Sodom, and Abraham keeps fighting with God and arguing with God 
And God and Abraham says to God, Vayomer, Vayan Avraham, etc., etc. He says, Vayosef, Vayomer Ulaimatsun Sham, Vayomer in Pasuk Lamid, Alna Yicharad Ladonai Vadabra Ulaimatsusham Shloshim, etc., etc. Let me speak one more time. Meaning, even after it's clear what's going on, can I speak one more time, please, God? It's exactly the language Gidon uses. If we continue in this vein, of course, in this context, some other parallels. First of all, the language of Gidon. If you go back to chapter 6, that passage we were just reading, what does he say? He says, where is it? One second. Let's get my notes. Um, yeah, so if you look, Achapam, number seven, Gidon is faced with a terrible, terrible uh, war that's about to come. And in chapter six, verse 33, all the people come. Right? And he goes and he faces the B'nai Kedem. Interesting term. He faces the people from the east, the kings of the east. And how many soldiers does he go out with? 20,000? 30,000? How many does he go out with? Remember? 300. Who else went out with 314 soldiers to fight in the story of the four kings and the five kings? Anybody remember? Avraham. It's the only two people who go out to fight a battle. 300, 314 soldiers. Fascinating. Fascinating. And of course the text, remember in the story of the four kings and five kings, Abraham goes all the way up Vayir defam ad dan, right? Or didan. It's a whole question what the extra dalit is. Is it a typo, so to speak, the Nitziv talks about, or other things like that? Look at chapter 7 of the Gidon story. Chapter 7, verse 25. Vayil kidu shnei sarei midyan et orev, etc. Vayir defu el midyan, verosh orev zoev, if you, etc. So they chase them all the way up to Midian. And of course, it's interesting. Again, there are a lot of other parallels. Abraham, it turns out that they kill the nephews, the Achim, with the Gidon story. Abraham tries to help out his Ach, his brother Lot. Again, there are many, many of these little parallels. And of course, what happens at the end of the Gidon story, we all know. They want to make him a Melech. They want to make him a king, Right? Now what happens at the end of the story of the four kings and the five kings? What do they want to do? It says that Abraham came El Emek HaMelech, came to the Emek. And Chazal there say they wanted to make Abraham king over the whole Middle East. That's what it means in the context. 
If you destroy everybody, you destroy the four kings and the five kings. Right? Remember the story of the four kings and the five kings? Just parenthetically, okay? Have, have some comic relief. So, okay? Just tell me what time it is. Okay? So the four kings and the five kings. How come? I mean, who won the four kings and the five kings? Who won? The four kings. But isn't five more than four? <laughs> how come? How come four win when five is more than four? Ask a little kid. Four, right? So, what's the answer? I'm sorry. No, but before I'm talking about before. It says that the four kings, the five kings, rebelled against the four kings. Right? They served them for a few years, then they rebelled against them. Achar Adrimaela, right? And then they were basically destroyed or captured, and then Avram has to come and save the day. So how come isn't five more than four? I'm sorry? Correct. It's obvious if you look at the text, right? The text of the story says, So it's, you know, Bera Melech Sdom and Birsha Melech Amora. These are little little cities against countries, right? It's like Toledo versus China, okay, fighting. You know, so if you have Toledo and Akron and Cleveland and, and even New York against China and Russia, whatever, you're not going to win, even if you're more numerous, right? Okay, you have the little five towns, the evil five towns, right, of Sodom, the five towns. Yes, that's the joke, okay? <laughs> so you have, the, you, have, you have five towns, and of course, the text is playing with us because... Right? Who, who are the kings of the five towns? They have Bera Melech's Dome, right? Dr. Evil, and Birsha Melech Amora. Birsha is, you know, Dr. Horrible is the king of, right? And Bela Melech Tzor. Bela is, right, in, in modern Hebrew also, Divrei Bela are words, you know, horrible things that you say. So the kings, Kishmo, right? very often the text plays with us. Naval, Kishmo, Kainhu. So the head of Sodom is obviously Dr. Evil. He's a terrible guy. As opposed to the head of Yerushalayim is Malki Tzedek, a king of Tzedek. And Abraham, of course, is going to choose Tzedek rather than he's going to choose Resha because Avraham is good. He's not bad, okay? So, so here we have a similar story. So you have all these parallels. Okay, and Avraham, again, coming back to my point, I'll get back to the main point. Avraham is victorious against the four kings and the five kings. He is now the superpower. He's now, and they come to him, Be'emek Shaveh. And Chazal described, they wanted to make him the Melech of the whole region. Rashi quotes it, Emek HaMelech. They want to make him the king. They want him to have all the power. And Avram says, I don't want to have that power. I don't want political power. That's not my goal here. I'm not interested in being, I actually, according to Pshat, I'm going to offer Maaser to Malki Tzedek. I'm not going to be the one in charge. I'm certainly not going to take from Sodom, and I'm certainly not going to be made king by Sodom, very similar to Gidon. Again, Gidon, who refuses that and refuses to take that power. So what you have here is a very clear presentation by the Bible, by the Tanakh, of Gidon, with all these literary parallels, linguistic parallels, thematic parallels, and there are many more that you could probably find if you look carefully, where the Gidon story, they're in distress, he meets a malach, he offers them food, he argues with God, he challenges God, he asks this, 
he goes to Bnei Kedem, he fights the Bnei Kedem, he fights the kings of the east, which is what Avram is doing. Avram is fighting the kings, sorry, fighting the kings of the east. These kings come from Bavel and from Amraphel, all these places. So, whatchamacallit. So you have these tremendous parallels which Chazal noticed. Chazal noticed and said, wow, the author, the Nach, Hashem, presents the story, or made the Hashkacha, if you want to make it from her, well, it doesn't matter to me. The Hashkacha played it out that, uh, that Gidon was a second Abraham, that Gidon had experiences that were Abrahamic, that he's the beginning of a new stage, and he could have been. You know, I'm sure there are going to be shiurim during the Yemeyun about Gidon, and there's always the Gidon from some pers- from the perspective of some people is a hachmatza. It's a lost opportunity. Gidon was someone who could have been maybe the rest of Sefer Shoftim wouldn't have happened if he would, you know, kind of anvitanuto shel avkilus. Maybe if Gidon would have accepted the offer of becoming king, maybe things would have ended up the way they do in Sefer Shoftim, of Ishayashar and civil war and people being raped and killed and horrible, you know, chaos. Maybe. Gidon could have been, you know, a second Abraham, the beginning of something new, whatever it is, that he had that potential. It didn't work out. But Chazal... When they saw that, they said, wow. So if the Gidon story is parallel to the Avraham story, so maybe we can learn some things about Avraham from Gidon. It's a two-way street. If Gidon is parallel to Avraham, then maybe we can find out things we don't know about Avraham from things we know about Gidon. And so if we can figure out if we want to figure out something about the qualities of Avraham and his monotheism, about his commitment to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, about his commitment to be willing to go against the Zerim, to go against... So let's take the Gidon story. If Gidon is a second Abraham, so then there's some connection here. And so Chazal saw it as a two-way street, and they said, this is the perfect story to use as an origin story of Avraham. If we want to find out, if we want to present, if we want to understand who Avraham was, where he came from, how he developed, how he grew, where he came to his monotheism, we know he had a father. We know that later on in Yehoshua it says that, you know, Terach was Ovdei Kochavim. So we already have that little piece of information. Let's build around that given the story of Gidon. And that's what I call intertextuality in reverse. Given everything that we see about Gidon and Avraham, the rabbis felt entitled to be able to go in that uh, direction. So this is what I wanted to uh, share with you. I wanted to leave some time uh, for questions and development and stuff like that. And this, I think, is, you know, I think, it's you know, it's clear, there's no doubt that the story of Gidon is the basis for the Midrashic story. Why they felt the rabbis were entitled to create that and pull back is based on this. But here we have some time for questions, development, challenges, comments. Please, Vakasha, please introduce yourself. Okay. 
Jubilees. Right. Midrash, correct. Why do I think that happened? I can only conjecture. I can only conjecture that, you know, um, you know, did, you know, we can say a lot of things. Was it important to differentiate very strongly as time went on between the Terach and Avraham, the split? You know, Anochi be'ever achad, ve'hem be'ever acher, that it was important for, in terms of the Jews of that time, and subsequent generations for Chazal to emphasize how much Avram was a break from the previous generation and how much we need to be separate from the surrounding culture, even if it's family. You know, I could make up a lot of theories. I don't, I don't have any evidence uh, yet. I also want to make uh, two points before I take more questions. Number one is, I, do wanna, I did want to mention also, the name Gid'on, right? We all know he also has another name, Yeru Ba'al, because he fights the Ba'al. Beautiful. But even the name Gid'on is about fighting the Baal. What is the word Gid'on? What's the root of the word Gid'on? word Gid'on is Gada. Ga, what? No, the, the Nun is not part of the root. The Gimel Dalid Ayin. What's Gimel Dalid Ayin in Biblical Hebrew? Ligdo'a. What's Ligdo'a? What's Ligdo'a? Asherehem Tigade'un. Upsilehem Right? Remember that in Sefer Tvarim? What's Ligadea? Chop down. That's his name, Gidon Kishmohu. He's Mr. Choppy. He's Mr. Chopdown of Avodah In his very essence, that was his makor. Uh, that's number one. Number two, um, I have not yet, and I've been pursuing this for you know, 20 years since I came up with this idea, I've been looking for some medrash, and I hope you find, you'll help me, and please email me, and health got at sarhighschool.org. Okay, <laughs> I would love to find a medrash that even hints at this connection explicitly. Meaning, it would be beautiful if there were a few midrashim that actually, you know, spelled out Gidon. You know, like Elio is like Moshe. It would be nice, but we don't have that. So, but if we could find something like that, would be great. Also in Chazal. Yes, Vakasha. Just tell me your name. I just like to know people. Tom. Tom, what? Okay. I buy what you say that there's all these connections <laughs> and all that. Uh, and uh, where I'm missing is the next step. By Avram, by Avram where does the woman come in with the flower? Oh, all, you mean the elaboration the of the story? I mean, if, it, if, it, if you're looking at it from Gidon, you know, I mean, that, that's a lot of. Okay. Lahavdil Elif Havdalos. But. Havdil Elf Avdalos, their, um, you know, literary expression is literary expression. I can't give you a specific reason why, but Lahavdil, again, I keep saying Lahavdil Elf Avdalos, Shakespeare, there was a guy named Hamlet who was a Danish king. And, what? Prince, I'm sorry. Okay. Mamish, wow. Okay, a Danish prince. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so, there was a guy named Hamlet who lived and did certain things. Did he say and do and experience every single thing that Shakespeare presented to make the story of Hamlet come alive? Of course not. So Chazal, in trying to shape a, a message, a message of tremendous Yirat Shemayim and Musr, they elaborated, just like you know we do today, rabbis, when they give drashot, that's why it's called a drasha, 
they take a story, they add a little bit, they give color, they make a joke, they, they, they want to make it come alive. And this is part of how you make it, I think, come alive. Again, this is all predicated, and as I started before, if you come from the a more Haredi perspective that the Midrashim come from Sinai, even Midrash Agada, then that's a problem, what I said is problematic. But if you come from the perspective of the Gaonim, and the perspective of most of the Rishonim and the Achronim, that Chazal are trying to understand the text, trying to convey a message, right? I'll give, I'll give an example. I mean, again, then there's a little bit more freedom and license for Chazal to try to convey that message in the language. Chazal say, the beginning of Sefer Shmot, okay, um, the Jewish people spread. Now, it's a very beautiful pasuk. Chazal have all kinds of midrashim there. Midrashim about how the women had six children or twelve children. Pshutoshal Mikra is that pasuk is about trying to echo um, creation. Right? Vayirbu. Vayats, vayifru, vayirbu, vayatsmu, ba'od is all language of creation. Pru or vu, umilu etaaretz, vatimalea aretz otam. Yeah, it is. You'll see there's seven words there. They go back to creation. It's about the microcosm is parallel to the macrocosm. Fine. But Chazal also say, vatimalea aretz otam. What is vatimalea aretz? So Chazal are very critical of B'nai Israel. What were they doing? Halchu lekir kasaot ula achsadraot. Now, I want to tell you something. There were no circuses in Mitzrayim, okay? Not in ancient Egypt. There were circuses in Rome, right? That Chazal were... So they use the language and the experience. They're trying to talk about assimilation. They're using this as a springboard to say to the people around them, don't go to the circuses. And don't go to the... I'm sorry. Kirkaot v'teatrot. Okay? They didn't have theaters in Mitzrayim. They had other things. But they didn't have theaters. But Chazal used the language, just like rabbis today will use the language in the drasha that is speaking. So I believe, to give you a very long-winded answer to your question, they were using literary license in order to make the story come alive so that it would remain in people's toda'a, in people's consciousness, just like it does today, till forever. It remains in our consciousness. Just like when you write a good novel and you flesh out a character... You have to give it life, otherwise it's boring and it's not. It doesn't have. It doesn't have any impact. Yes, Vakasha. Okay. What's I your name? I apologize. I must have uh, my name. Yeah. Judy. Okay. I must have misunderstood, but I had thought you were talking about intertextuality and in reverse. That once we would learn about Gidon, from understanding that Gidon is similar to Abraham, we could then go back and learn more about Abraham. Exactly. And the story of Gidon. Right. Now that's what I didn't get. So that's where Chazal. Where did the rabbis have the right to use in the Gidon story you have the story of a father who worships Avodah Zarah and a son who destroys that Avodah Zarah and the son who is in danger and is almost going to be killed and is saved at the last minute. That's in the Gidon narrative. So once you have that in the Gidon narrative and once Gidon is based on Avraham the rabbi said, oh, let's take some of the Gidon elements and put it back into the Avraham element. That's what I didn't hear. What, did what do you mean? They took that, all that story. Where do you think the medrash, the medrash of, that we started with, is exactly the story of Gidon? Okay? 
Yeah. I'm sorry if I wasn't uh, clear on what I was Okay. Yeah, some people in the back, Vakasha. Yeah, you decide. <laughs> okay, yes, sir. What's your name? Hi, Chaim. That's an interesting theory also. It's a, possi- it's a possible theory. Again, but they, it doesn't exist in the Abraham story. Right. It's less radical in the sense that you're claiming that Okay, so you, I, I, I he, someone when I first presented this, a good friend of mine, Rabbi Shalom Karmi, uh, suggested that approach. I hear it. I don't. It doesn't speak to me. I don't think that's the way it works. But um, you know, I, it's certainly possible. I, I can't. I can't reject it. I've yes. There's a lady in the very back. Can you stand up? It's hard to hear. I don't. Right, except there is one thing, and that's the Pasuk in Yehoshua, which we read on the night of the Haggadah, which says about how, you know, Avotechem were Ovdei Avodah Zarah. So, you know, Terach, what's the Pasuk? Someone? Oh? Right. Right. So there's a Pasuk which explicitly speaks of him as an Ovdei Avodah Zarah. So you're right. They, they made, just like Chazal made all kinds of decisions, right? Esav in Tanakh, you know, Esav in, not Tanakh, in Breshit is, you know, He's not a tzaddik, but he's not the evil, you know, terrible, horrible person that Chazal put upon him. He's a rotzeach, and he's a no'eif, and he's a, you know, that, Chazal made choices in terms of how they present certain um, characters in order, based on other psukim and other and influences, again. So I don't have a good answer why, but I do think that it was, it springboarded off of the Pasuk in Yehoshua and then <laughs> and then continues uh, for all kinds of reasons. The other gentleman asked maybe, again, it may be historical, cultural reasons that it was important to sharply divide. You know, the Abraham is a total, there's no retzef. That's a big word now in Israel, right? Datiyeha retzef. So there's no retzef between Avram. Avram was a total break with his father, which is, again, when you read Noah, the end of Noah, it sounds like they're already going, Right? Which is a fascinating Parshanut thing. Rav Breuer wrote about. Everybody is, you know, but that's not today's shear. Yes, Vakasha. Uh, no problem. Thank you. First of all, I'm also happy there's questions. I've been, I don't like. Can I? Can I give Bikoret? Okay. So I don't like the fact that in the Yemei Yun they never allow like questions, 
and you know you, you have a hard sa'ah for an hour and ten minutes and there's no no there should be questions and learning and discussion yes Vakasha. Yes, correct. Yeah, intertextuality in reverse. <laughs> yes. Oh, Mrs. Frazier, it's good to see you. About the reverse, is there any way to know for sure that the midrash about Abraham and Edom's breaking the idols are both reacting to an earlier story? That right. Right. We don't know. That's that's the unknown. Those are the knowns, knowns, and the unknown, unknown. <laughs> I have no idea, right? We have the earliest, that's why I said, the earliest source that I have found for this idea floating around in Jewish circles is the Book of Jubilees. 100, 120 before the Common Era. That's the earliest we have that this idea floats around. So, correct. Uh, maybe, maybe it did. Maybe Jubilees did. Maybe Jubilees felt it, it was, imp- again, I have no way of knowing. This is all conjecture. But that is the terminus qua, as they say, you know, this, this is the earliest written text that we have that discusses this theme in Jewish circles, literature, slash, yeah. This, and my opinion, might be even, my name is Menachem, Hi. is a third leg, which I'm wondering why you didn't bring it, which is Pinchas. Uh-huh. When he went and killed Zimri, everybody wants to kill him. Uh-huh. Right. Till Hashem comes, no. Yeah, what, and what did they say? Excuse me, we can this per- <laughs> I'll repeat it. I'll repeat it. He says his great grandfather was an I was work he was Fatem Agalimba Abutal Zara. Right. we have the same idea of a person whose great grandfather was with Abutal Zara and now he becomes like a Kohen. Right. So the gentleman said that, you know, there's also a theme in, uh, in the Midrashim about Pinchas, that Pinchas also, people wanted to kill him when he tried to do it. The difference is, I, you're playing one Medrash off of another Medrash. No, but, no, but I understand, but it's saying in terms of the biblical text, as a narrative in the biblical text, we don't have that about Pinchas. We don't have that everybody tried to kill him and people said this, that whole narrative. It's true, but I'm I'm looking I'm looking for. <laughs> you're right, but I'm saying I went to the Gidon story, which is in Tanakh, to to go back for Avram. But you, why? Well, I'm not get. Maybe next year I'll give a shiur about Pinchas and develop that. Yes, yes, Vakasha. Intertextuality in reverse? Sure. So I gave one at the beginning about Akedat Yitzchak, about how... I'll give you another one, one that I'm very fond of. Okay, but it, again, it would take another hour, but I'm just... Mamish al Kseyama's leg. Achar advarim ha'eleh v'ashem nisa et Avraham. And God tested Abraham. Mazah achar advarim ha'eleh says the Midrash Rabbah, 
Achar dvarim shel satan. After the words of Satan. Where is Satan in the Akedah Yitzchak story? It's nowhere. There's no Satan. There's no Satan in the Akedah Yitzchak story. But you know, I know it's in the Medrash. Where did the Medrash get it from? So where is the... It's an Eov. There is a story about someone being tested by, you know, by, by God, by a Satan coming to God and saying to God, this person, he seems so from and so Yirat Shamayim. He's not so from. Test him and see if he rejects God. Okay? The same thing. That's what the Medrash says. Avram, yeah, everything is going honky-dory for him. Come and test him. Now, where did Chazal feel entitled to, and again, this takes a lot more development, to take the Eov story about a Satan challenging God and do something evil to a human being to test him if he's really Yerei Shamayim? Why did they put it into the Avram story? And the answer is very simple. If you look throughout the book of Eov, there are dozens of literary parallels between Avraham and Eov. Eov is patterned after Avraham. Just start from the first Pasuk. What does it say at the very beginning of the book of Eov? Somebody remind me, somebody who knows Tanakh by heart. Ish haya be'eretz utz. What's the Pasuk? Let's look it up. We have a Tanakh. So what are it's in Ketuvim. Ish haya be'eretz utz. Eov Shemo. Just parenthetically, here's the first one. Utz. There's only one other place that Utz appears. Remember at the end of the... what we, It's Utz Bechoro, right? Avram hears about the birth. We read it on Rosh Hashanah. Va'ish ha'hu tam v'yashar v'yirei Elohim. Who's called a tam and a yashar and yirei Elohim? It's only Avram is called a tam and, and a yirei Elohim. Hitalech lefanai ve'yei tamim. Atayadati k'yirei Elohim ata. But here's the, cl- here's the kicker. There's only two people in all of Tanakh who are called, who use the term Va'anochi Afar Ve'efer. Eov, I don't remember the Pasuk offhand, but somebody has a concordance, they can find it. And Avraham, the only two people in all of Tanakh who call themselves Afar Ve'efer. The rabbis saw that Eov is patterned after Avraham. Once Eov is patterned after Avraham, they said, well, we can bring some of the Eov narrative back into the Avraham narrative. Good answer? Good. Thank you very much.